ask that you would take God's Word into your hand and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We've been studying for the last couple months a series entitled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I'll be honest with you, this weekend started good, it got bad, and today I feel ugly. Joshua got sick this week, and like a good father, I helped him in that time, and like a good son, he gives you the flu. So, let's turn to Romans chapter 1. If you want to follow along, there's a uh, bulletin insert, and uh, let's look to our text this morning. Romans chapter 1, we'll start in verse 14. And then we'll get into our text this morning. Paul says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness... That is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from all heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their uh, wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Father God, we come before You, and we pray You would enlighten our hearts this morning, that You would reveal Yourself to us. Father, as we call ourselves Christians, we... We not only rejoice in creation, but we rejoice in Christ. So Lord, teach us today what our fellow mankind is struggling with and why the wrath of God is coming. Father, enlighten our hearts this morning. Encourage our hearts. Remind us of who you are and what you're all about, that we may know you more and that we would glorify you more in all that we say and do. And all God's people said, Amen. Last week we talked about the wrath of God. We talked about why the wrath of God, uh, why Paul was writing about the wrath of God. And there are three things in the next three weeks that we are going to learn about why the wrath of God is being seen. The first reason that Paul gives on why the wrath of God is being revealed is that humanity has suppressed the truth. The second reason that he's going to share in a couple weeks is that humanity has substituted the truth for a lie. And the third one is is that humanity has soiled themselves instead of pursuing truth. The wrath of God is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness because man has suppressed the truth. We talked about that last week. What does it mean to suppress the truth? It literally is the word kata echo, which means to hold down something. We are holding down the truth. God reveals Himself in His truth and we hold it down. We say we don't want nothing to do with it. Just just get it out of here. We don't want anything uh, in in our lives to be a part of that truth when we are uh, in our sin. I thought about that this week as... Uh, trying to find an illustration that would work, and I didn't want to go ahead and sit on someone's lap again like last week. And I thought about uh, about a month ago, Noah was at his uh, cousin's house. My brother uh, was kind enough to let Amanda and I go out for a date, and my brother and his wife took Noah and Joshua. And we came home that night, and uh, my brother usually says the kids were great, you know, little skirmishes here and there, but everything was wonderful. Well, he doesn't say that this time. He says, Noah was really bad. And I said, well, what what did he say? Well, well, he was saying things that he probably shouldn't be saying. Some words that I'm sure you guys wouldn't want. And by the way, no curse words, okay? Just some of those questionable ones you don't want a four-year-old saying. And uh, so I get home and I put put Noah into bed. And I said, Noah, Uncle Joel said that you were saying things that you shouldn't have been saying. And Noah looks at me and says, no, Daddy. 
Uncle Joel's a liar. And I said, oh. I said, well, son, I said, I've known Uncle Joel for quite a long time. And I said, uh, now, and I didn't say this, but I said, there's a lot of things I can think of Uncle Joel, but, but lying isn't one of them. Joel is, is a man of integrity. He didn't understand integrity, but uh, I said, I don't think Uncle Joel would lie. Why would Uncle Joel lie? Because he doesn't like me, Daddy. And I said, son, I said, why don't you just be honest? Did you say what Uncle Joel said? No, Daddy, I did not say that. For 45 minutes, my friends, I sat and debated a four-year-old because my son wanted to suppress the truth. And instead of saying, yes, Daddy, I did wrong, Yes, Daddy, I said something I shouldn't have, and Uncle Joel was right in saying that I said things I shouldn't have. For 45 minutes, he kept saying no, and, and it was amazing. He kept digging himself deeper and deeper into trouble. That's humanity. That is a clear picture of humanity because what happens is God reveals himself, and we say, no, God, no. I suppress that. I, I, I'm going to hold that down. I don't want that in my life. And, in, and instead of just coming out and saying, yes, God, we get ourselves more and more into trouble. The reason the wrath of God is coming is because we are suppressing the truth. And as we suppress the truth, the more wrath continues to billow up and build up and build up until God's ready to pour it out. I'll tell you, that was one of the toughest discipline times I've ever had with Noah. Not because he said something bad, but because he suppressed the truth. And in suppressing the truth... He lied, he became deceitful, he became angry. And that's exactly what happens to us in the world with humanity. No one knew what was right. And instead of pursuing what was right, he said, I'm not going to go that way. That is where Paul gives an indictment. I told you a couple of weeks ago, Paul is like a wonderful uh, theological lawyer. And he's building a case against humanity. He is saying humanity is bad. Humanity is completely and utterly sinful. And for three chapters in Romans, 1, 2, and 3, Paul sets forth his opening arguments on why we are bad. And why we are falling short of the glory of God. The Bible says that truth has been revealed. In verse 17 it says there is a righteousness from God. That is a positive revelation. Paul says that there is a righteousness that is being revealed from God. Understand this, that's good news for people. God is saying, before he even gets to the bad news, remember he's saying, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Then he says, there's a righteousness being revealed. How do we get that salvation? God comes and he reveals his righteousness to us. But then he says, but we've got a problem. Because as righteousness is revealed, he says that the wrath of God is being revealed. And we've got two polar opposite items that are taking place. We've got the righteousness of God and the wrath of God that are being re revealed. One is positive, one is negative. And what is told of us in verse 18? We suppress the righteousness of God, we push it away, we hold it down, and because of that, the wrath of God is coming for humanity. Well, how do we suppress the truth? How do, how do we do it? The Bible says that it's through wickedness and godlessness. Godlessness, in verse 18, talks about, as I shared last week, it talks about the idea that we have an improper relationship with God. We have a wrong relationship with God. And as a result of that, what happens is, is that as we have the wrong relationship with God, likewise we'll have a wrong relationship with man. That's the idea of wickedness. Godlessness, wrong relationship with God. Wickedness, wrong relationship with our brothers and sisters. The best example of that, I don't know if I shared this last week, is the picture and the life of Cain. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain uh, starts uh, giving to the Lord. Abel gives to the Lord. God sees that Abel's gift is one of uh, great uh, love and great admiration, and the offering is just right. And, and Cain's isn't. 
Cain tries to kind of sidestep his way when it comes to that. He's got a wrong relationship with God. And what happens within the chapter? You have a wrong relationship with God, and instead of looking to God and trying to get his relationship right with God, he starts looking at his brother and he says, I want him dead. A wrong relationship with God is a wrong relationship with one another. Because humanity has a wrong relationship with God, it's clear that we have a wrong relationship with one another where, uh, where we learn not far from here, a man is being accused of killing two of his wives. That's crazy. Why would that happen? Who would do that? If we have a wrong relationship with God, anything is on the table when it comes to the evil things that we will do to our friends, to our family, and to people we don't even know. Now there are two ways that God reveals His righteousness this morning. The first one is, and this is what Paul's going to talk about. He says, all right, a righteousness has been revealed and, and God's wrath is being revealed. Now he goes back to this righteousness. How is God revealing himself? The first one is natural revelation. Write that somewhere in your outline. Natural revelation. The definition of natural revelation is the following. What the world knows, what the world knows about God what the world knows about God because of what God has revealed about Himself in nature. What we know about God through nature. Very simple idea and understanding and definition. We have a picture of who God is. When you got up this morning and walked out and looked at that, and hopefully you didn't look at it too long, that big yellow ball in the sky, that reveals God. When you look all around and all the things that we have from the trees to the ground to, to humanity itself and the intricacies of who we are in our bodies, we begin to understand who God is. It's through nature. God is revealing Himself through creation. Every aspect of creation speaks about God. Now there's a second kind of revelation. One is through nature. The other one is called special revelation. Special revelation. And what this is, is what God has revealed about Himself through Scripture. What has God revealed about Himself through the Scriptures? Let's look at this for a moment. Natural revelation will not teach us about Jesus Christ. You can't look at the sun in the sky and say, God had a son. You can't look at uh, the grass, you can't look at the leaves, you can't look at the Grand Canyon and say, wow, there's a God and He sent His one and only Son, the begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So we have to have something more than natural revelation. Natural revelation is that first step. But where do we get all that other stuff? We learn about Jesus through the Word of God. The Bible says that Jesus had a son at just the right time, at just the right place. When man needed him most, God sent his son to be born of a woman. Galatians 4.4. 4. That's special revelation. This is what God has revealed about himself in the scriptures. They go hand in hand. One feeds off of the other. In fact, in Romans 1.19-21, what he's talking about it's not that man has suppressed the truth about God of what's recorded in Scripture, but the opening indictment is, is that God's truth has been suppressed by humanity in light of creation. He's sitting there and saying, you know what? As you walk around humanity, as you walk around human beings, everything is slapping you in the face of that there is a God and that there's a God who came and created the world that was there in the beginning. This just didn't happen on its own. And what he's saying is, is there's truths that we must understand about it. The first truth that we must understand about that this morning is that humanity suppresses the truth even though God displays His existence on a continual basis. He displays His existence on a continual basis. Look at verse 19 this morning. It says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, speaking of humanity, because God has made it plain to them. Paul opens this passage and he says, Alright, 
This isn't brain surgery, humanity. This isn't brain surgery, people of the world. God has made something clear and he's made something plain. And what that is, is creation. Verse 20 is going to tell us that. Paul says in uh, verse 19, what, has, uh, what may be known about God. Underline, if you underline in your Bible, this idea uh, may be known about God. Before we understand what can be known about God, we need to realize something. Something that you and I as Christians must understand as we walk and as we live in this world. The number one thing we must understand is that God has not revealed all of Himself to us. If you think that you, uh, the Bible tells us everything about God, you're completely wrong. God has not revealed Himself yet uh, to all that. I believe that's what eternity is going to be about. God is just going to continually be revealing Himself when we're in heaven and saying, oh, let me tell you a little bit more about myself. Let me tell you more about my holiness. You, you saw part of it. You were revealed part of it. Let me show you all the more. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 11 for a moment. Romans 11. If you don't know, Romans 11 is the last part of the theology of the book of Romans. Not that there isn't more theology in the book of Romans beyond chapter 11, but Paul is finishing up a section where he's been dealing with the idea of salvation, the salvation of of, uh, people, uh, the God dealing with people in a salvific way, a saving way. And what he finishes up with, I think, is amazing because after this, he goes into all the um, practical things. You know, uh, live in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, love one another, he says in chapter 12, 13, submit to the authorities. You know, and he goes on. But listen to what he says after he's given all this theology in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Look at what he says. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to the Lord that he should repay? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul says after all this, after I've written probably the greatest uh, book of theology that man will ever know through the work of the Holy Spirit, he says, I don't have it all. I haven't figured it all out yet. Don't make yourself out to be one who knows everything about God. The Bible says that we look through a a glass dimly, but one day we will see clearly all that God reveals. So what do we need to understand about this idea of what has been made known to us about God? First of all, the first thing that we many we will do many times is we'll say, if I don't know everything about God, then who cares if I know anything about God? That's a wrong perception. Just because we don't know everything about God doesn't mean that we shouldn't be searching out the things that we do or can know about God. The greatest thing that we have is the Scriptures. The Bible tells us that these have been written that we may have life. These things have been written that you and I might have a right relationship with God. So my words to you would be to implore you to say, understand this book and look forward to all the more that God is going to share with you on on the great day that we walk into heaven and rejoice with Him for eternity. The second thing that we need to understand is is that I need to do all that I can to understand what God has revealed. We are lazy when it comes to understanding, not only in creation, but in the things of this world, what I like to call God moments, where you sit there and you say, wow, I serve an amazing God. When was the last time you you walked out and, and you looked at the things around you and you said, wow, this is pretty amazing. We have a lot of people that left a couple months ago to probably head up north to, to look at the colors. That's the only thing that we do. Not just looking at the colors of the trees uh, for a month of the year, but continually going and, and, and pursuing and, and setting our vacations and setting our uh, spare time to go and enjoy the wonder of God. And to sit there and say, this is amazing. And what does this reveal about my God? What does it reveal? That I need to know. We are so busy, and it's important that we are, so many times saying, well, I'm just going to learn this, learn the book, 
and we forget about what God is revealing in the area of the world and all that can be seen through that. Now, Paul uses this word known. There are th- uh, four ways that you can interpret this word uh, known or knowledge. It's a broad word for knowledge that God has revealed himself back in um, chapter 1. He says, since what may be known about God, the knowledge of God is plain to them. There are four uh, levels of knowledge. The first one is awareness. The second one is a head knowledge. The third one is an experiential Knowledge, And the fourth one is a personal knowledge. I'm going to use this as an illustration. My wife's not here. She's at home with two sick boys. My wife's pregnant. You have an awareness of her pregnancy. You're aware of it. In a couple months, you're going to be aware even more of it because she's going to show that she's pregnant. You don't just have to take her word for it, but the proof will be in, in the pudding that she eats. Okay? I'm kidding. Come on. Okay. Now, when we go to the doctor, the doctor puts a uh, little uh, little microphone on her stomach, and, and the doctor says, "Your wife is pregnant." How do I know that? Because I have knowledge that says, if I hear a heartbeat in your tummy, then there's something growing in there. And what we've learned is, is that that the doctors have told us, and our teachers have told us, that when there's a tummy, nine, or there's a heartbeat in the tummy, that sometime in a period of nine months, a baby's going to come out. That's a head knowledge. Now, in April, we're gonna, I'm gonna get the call from my wife saying, get home, we gotta get to the hospital. And I'm going to go and be a part of the delivery, and I'm gonna stand there and do absolutely nothing but look stupid, and I'm gonna be a part of that, and I'm gonna experience something. It's a wonderful thing if you've never been able to be a part of that. Experiencing the birth of a, of a baby. I've experienced that. But that's still not the most of known. The idea of known because there's one more level. Because to me, I'm not feeling any pain except when she grabs my hand or any pain when she talks badly about me. I experience it, but it's her. And it's her body. And it's her pain. And it's her struggles. She has a personal knowledge about what this pregnancy is. So it's different than what you have about her. It's different what the doctor has about her. The doctor understands that there's pain, but unless the doctor has, the doctor has no idea what that pain may be like, just that it's bad pain. I can be there and I can be a part of it and experience parts of it, but I can't experience all of it. The idea here is what Paul is saying is, is that there is an awareness of creation. The world has not looked at the world and said, I want to be a part of this and I'm going to involve myself as much as possible. But there's an awareness. They look around and they say, wow, there's trees, there's a sun in the sky, there's a moon that comes out at night. I'm not sure what to make of these things, but they're there. I'm aware of them. I'm no dummy. I'm not, I'm not one who will say that that's not happening. Those things are happening. You can see it as bright as day. Paul is saying there's an awareness There is an awareness. Now, we need to understand this awareness is evident to everyone. It's evident to everyone. Natural revelation tells us that everyone can see. It says that it is evident. Phanero is the Greek word, meaning that it's been given light to make visible. God has revealed creation, and what He has done is He's put a spotlight on it, and He says, all right, humanity, all right, men and women of the world, understand that I've created something here, and be aware of it. You're going to be aware of it. You're going to know about it because I'm going to shed light on it. God is evident in creation through our sight, our sounds, our taste, our touch, all the senses. We know that things are here. If, we, if someone came up to you and said, well, no, there's, there's no moon, you could slap them. You could say, well, what is that then? Your eyes must be lying to you then. There is a moon. You can see it. You could say, well, there's no trees. Well, you can touch a tree. Then what are you touching? God has given us the ability to see, to be, for creation to be evident to us through our senses. This is this word, phanero. The next thing that we see is Paul says is that this knowing is, is, is plain to them. It's plain to them. The NIV uses the term plain to them. And what we need to understand is, is that God's ex- existence is not just evident to all, but it's experienced by all. 
NIV says it's plain to them. I like the New Living Translation. It says, For the truth of God is known to them instinctively because God has put this knowledge in their hearts. The NAS says that it is evident within them. The New King James says it is manifest in them. It would sound, because how the NIV is translating it, that Paul is repeating himself. It's evident to them because God has made it evident to them. But what it's saying is is that it is evident within them. Now this moves us from awareness to another level, and that is to the level of not only head knowledge, but experience. They have experienced creation. It isn't just something they see outside of them, but God has written it in their hearts. God sovereignly has planted evidence of His existence, not just in the external, my friends, but in the internal as well. This is done through reason. As we use our brains, as we see the moral law that is laid out before us, we say, there must be a God. I have a conscience. I'm not out killing everybody that I see. Why is that? What has allowed me to not do those things? What keeps me from doing it, but someone else from not doing it? That is moral law. God has written on our consciences that there are things that we should do and shouldn't do. That's why even the greatest of of, uh, killers or murderers is going to have at some point guilt in their lives. Now, they may suppress that guilt. They may try to get rid of that guilt, but that's written in our heart. You kill somebody, and you're going to feel guilty about it. You steal from somebody, and at some point, uh, whether you've suppressed the truth or not, there's going to be some sort of guilt that you have to get out of your life. So you say, I don't want that. I suppress that. It's internal as well. second thing that we see this morning is that humanity suppresses the truth despite the evidence seen in creation. Paul goes on and he uses creation as his key witness. Look at what he says in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without an excuse. God reveals truth in verse 17. He reveals wrath in verse 18. He reveals Himself in creation in verse 20. He says, all right, you want to know me at the most basic of levels? Look at the world around you and you will see me. Now, what he says at the beginning of verse 20 is he uses the three-letter word for. What that word for means is he's going to tell you something. Why is the wrath of God being revealed? Because something was made plain to man, verse 19, and what has been made plain to man is creation. I've revealed myself, humanity. I've revealed myself, world And I've revealed myself through creation. Now Paul says that this has happened for a long time. Since the creation of the world. When Adam and Eve were walking around the garden, they had a relationship with God. But they also had a relationship with the world around them. And they would be constantly reminded that there was a God because of the creation. They were reminded of that. The food, the trees... The animals around them, they would be reminded of that. Paul says that we have been given creation as a visible picture, he says, of an invisible God. Look at what he says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, which are His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly seen. That's an oxymoron. Something that is invisible cannot be clearly seen, correct? You can't, you can't see something that is invisible. But what he's saying is, is you want to know about me, the invisible God, then look at the visible creation of the world. How does that happen? Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. If you're in the book of Romans, you're going to go about uh, this far, backwards. That was supposed to be funny. Psalm 19. Verse 1 through 6. Go back into the Old Testament. Halfway through the Old Testament, you're going to find about 150 of these things called Psalms. You're going to find Psalm 19. Listen to what David says about creation. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. What does? The heavens and the skies, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where this voice is not heard. Meaning, David is saying whether you speak Cambodian or Spanish or English or Chinese, all of you are able to see this because there is no language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. This isn't some American thing that we see or some Canadian thing that we see. This is seen not just in the Western Hemisphere. It's seen all over the world. For their words go out to the ends of the world. In the heavens He has pitched a tent for the sun, literally placing it where it should go, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from His pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run His course. It rises at one end of the heavens and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Just, just so you know that there's some great science in that. that they, they're amazed that David would understand that. That way back, hundreds of years before Christ, David would understand the, the whole idea that the sun moved from one side to the other. You say, well, that would be easy to understand. Well, they didn't understand that that much. And David yet knew that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit revealed that to him. So what is it saying? Creation is speaking. Look at the words. They declare. They pour forth speech. They proclaim. That word proclaim means they are in open proclamation. Literally, they are yelling at us. The Bible says that the trees of the field will clap their hands. The Bible tells us when Jesus was talking, when people weren't worshiping Him, that the rocks would cry out. That's that same word in the Greek, that they would proclaim, that they would yell out, that they would cry out. Because they have to tell somebody about God and who He is. Creation is crying out right now. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that it is groaning, waiting for its redemption. And we need to hear it. We need to be able to resonate with it. But sadly in our world today, instead of looking at what's going on in our world, instead of pursuing the things that, that are a part of this world, we find ourselves in front of a TV watching a movie or a video game. Instead of looking at what God has created, the celestial beings that He has, he has created and the bodies of, of stars and galaxies that we've been a part of. When we were at the retreat this weekend, on Friday night, the worship leader just said, I just want to give you some perspective. And he started with where we're at in the Midwest, and he just kept getting bigger and bigger. Well, we're on this ball, and this is a big ball to us, but it's not a very big ball in the whole realm of the solar system. And, well, the solar system seems really big. But it's a small solar system in light of the galaxies around us. And then the galaxies around us, you know, it would take us, uh, at a, with a rocket that going 10,000 miles per hour, it would take us like 500,000 light years to get to the end of where our um, telescopes show us the ends of the world are. And yet we've learned that they go even farther than that. Let's get some perspective. Let's understand that we have a God who has created some amazing things, and yet we find ourselves in front of our plasma TVs watching what Steven Spielberg has made instead of the almighty, all-powerful God. And I'm not saying don't watch Steven Spielberg, but let's put things into perspective. Let's be in awe of what God is doing, and yet we sit there as Christians and we walk out of this place and we say, well, I'm going to go watch some guys that run around in tights with some pads on, and that's going to bring awe to me what a guy can do with a pigskin. And yet we look at what God does and we say, eh, maybe the Grand Canyon might get me fired up, maybe the Amazon rainforest, but you know, look at our Midwest, how boring it is. And yet God gives us soil year in and year out to grow crops. God gives us the ability. Rain comes when it needs to. We have the perfect ecosystem. If we were just a couple degrees off, we've heard about the global warming thing. If we are just to be a couple degrees off, the way of life that we know it would completely fall apart. Not 20 degrees apart, a couple degrees. So what would happen? We need to praise God. We need to say, God, you've, you've set us up beautifully, wonderfully. Last night when I was running a, a fever of about 105. I was watching, of all movies, I couldn't sleep, and Amanda was mocking me because I was watching that uh, movie that uh, the world freezes over. 
And I said, I'm freezing, honey. And she says, well, of course you're freezing. You're watching the world freeze. Of course you're going to freeze. And yet the part of that was, is that they were talking, they were saying within that movie that it just takes a little change in all that we have to totally destroy this world. And yet what God has done for us is an amazing thing. The heavens reveal, it has been said, the power of God to everyone living on the earth. But then the good news must come because it gives us new birth. What does creation teach us? First of all, the power of God. The power of God. Creation gives evidence to the power of God. This, this word, uh, eternal power, is um, adios, dunamis. Eternal adios, which means unchanging, omnipotent. Dunamis, where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. Incredible power. Creation shows us the power of God. God created this world. He sustains this world. He takes care of this world. And He does it without any help from us. He does it all by Himself. And yet He also is able to keep track of where every one of us are at. He can remember the the hairs on our head or the lack thereof. And He's able to watch out and, and to control and to sovereignly rule over this world. Eternal power. The next thing that we see is that it involves the person of God. He says the word divine nature. It's the term divine nature. The Greek word is theos. Theos, of course, theos means God. So what this word is talking about is the Godhood of Jesus. Not the Godhead of Jesus, the Godhood of Jesus. Meaning, God meets the criteria. What we see in Scripture is as if you have written a contract saying, God is God because of creation. And what he's saying is, is I'm God. I can prove that I'm God. Here is my deed that says I am God. Well, how are you God? And all he has to say is, well, look at the world. Remember when Job is going through horrific times of pain and suffering in his life? He's lost his family. He's lost his health. And, and some stupid friends of him, his, say, you know what? You should get mad at God. Go question God. Go, go find out why God's so mean to you. You're a pretty good guy. And Job goes and he, he starts talking with God. And God says, were you there when I created the world? Were you there when I put the swallow, the swallow in, in its nest? Were you there when I wrote uh, the clouds into the sky? God reveals himself as being a powerful God, and he reveals himself as God, as he did with Job. He says, Tim, look at the world around you. I've created all this, therefore I am God. Don't ever forget it. Understand this. If you miss out on the natural revelation of God, meaning if you say, you know what, uh, this all happened because of a big bang. This all happened because of evolution. You will never understand the special revelation of God. You'll never believe this until you believe what's been created. You'll never believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God until you believe that God is the creator of all things. Now look at what he says next. Not only the power of God, the person of God is divine nature, but the product of God. It says, what has been made. Now that seems weird, the product of God. Why Why did I use that? Well, the word there is poiema. Poiema. And it refers to a product or a workmanship or a masterpiece. Literally, this is where we get our word poem. We write a poem. It is a masterpiece. It is our workmanship. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul uses this phrase again. He says, we as Christians are God's workmanship, poema. We are His masterpiece. So what God is saying is, is, look, I'm a sculptor. I'm a painter. I love the arts. Look at the world around me. And understand that I have created something, and I want you to see it. I want you to be a part of it. It is the that we see we are God's workmanship he's a heavenly sculptor he has created the world why? to bring him glory likewise as Christians using that same word God has saved us he has bought us with a price and now we are his workmanship created to go and do good works so we see the power of God the person of God the product of God what has been made 
And look at the final part there. All of these are continually perceived by humanity. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood. Clearly seen. What that means is they are not hidden. God didn't sit there and say, all right, I'm going to create this incredible earth and I'm going to hide it from everybody. God didn't create this world and say, all right, I'm going to blind you and give you no senses to be a part of it. That's not what God's done. He says, I've made it so you could clearly see it. It's there. And it's not that we have just clearly seen it, but it says that we have understood it. It's been seen with our senses, and it's been understood within our hearts and our minds. What it means is is that A plus B equals C. That we look out at creation, we look at all that is in our world, and we say A and B must mean that there is a God. There has to be a God. And this creation reveals something about God that I must understand. So... What do we do with this? Before I go to my third point, understand this. This is a very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a uh, tense subject, this idea of global warming. And I'm not going to get into the science of it. I know there's a lot of political issues about global warming. And frankly, I haven't gotten enough studying on it to completely understand or to make something. But understand this, people of Village Bible Church. If we believe that God is the creator of the world, then we must be people who love creation. We must be people who take care of creation. Now, I'm not saying that uh, in light of what uh, we do with human beings, that we love and hug trees more than we do human beings. There's a perspective to that. But Christians should be doing certain things. We ought not be littering this world. Now you say, that's so basic, Tim. Come on, why would you say that? If you want to tell the world to look at creation as the glory of God and look to creation about what God has created, then the last thing we should be doing as Christians is destroying that creation. Now I know there's a fine line. You know, God gave us the ability to have dominion over the earth. I understand all that. But think about it. If this is one of God's greatest witnessing tools then we should be uplifting it. We should be uh, elevating it to a place that people can see it while putting into perspective that natural revelation cannot save, but only the Word of God can. So what do you do? Show people creation. Tell people as you're going out and, and you're looking at things. One of the best ways before you get to this, before you get to the Word of God, go up to that coworker of yours and say, Man, did you see that moon last night? That was amazing. It was, it was huge. That is incredible. I'm so glad. This is where you throw it in. I'm so glad God has created that, that I could see that. They're not going to fight that. Okay, he likes the moon. But what do you get him to be thinking? There's a moon out there. Look at the moon. Get to know the moon. Why? Because it reveals something about your Creator. And then when you have got them thinking about that there's a creator, then you can start saying, but you know what? This creator wrote a book. He wrote a book and he tells us about his only son coming to the world and dying for us. He's not some deistic God that hangs out in some celestial body of stars, but he's intimately involved in our lives. And the Bible says he loves us. And the Bible says that he came uh, to live with us. And the Bible says that if we don't trust his son as Savior, We'll be under the wrath of God. Make sure you put into perspective the natural revelation with special revelation. Finally, we see the third point. Humanity suppresses the truth and is declared to be without excuse and condemned. God's Word declares some things. Number one, it declares that our rejection of God cannot be defended. It cannot be defended. What is the verdict that Paul says? Because creation is here, because we can see it, smell it, taste it, feel it, because it's written on our hearts, we can't be excused from it. And what that means is that when we reject God, there is no defense for our, uh, uh, our rejection. The word uh, excuse is the word anapologitas, anapologitas, which literally means we are without apology. We are without apology. We have no legal defense on which we can stand. What that means is every man, woman, and child in this world, whether in some far-off country or whether here in America, 
is without an excuse when it comes to whether or not they have rejected God and suppressed the truth or they've brought Him into, his li- into their lives. John 3.18, turn there for a moment. John 3.18 John 3.18, this is what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. This is what he says. Whoever believes in him, speaking of Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now here's Jesus using legal terms. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. There's two forms of light, remember? Natural light, natural revelation. And also super, a, special, a special light or a special revelation. Now this is speaking of Jesus. Jesus has come into the world, but look at what happens. Men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. One of the questions that is asked all the time to pastors is the following. What happens to that bushman in Africa if he doesn't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would God send him to hell? I've got to be quite honest with you. I'm not sure what God would do with that. I don't know. I've got some theological understandings of why God may do one or the other. But this is what I know about God. Every time we see in Scripture... That someone is given a light and walks towards that light. Any time that God has revealed himself in the smallest of ways and man has said, all right, I'll go that way, God reveals more light. Every time someone has seen something and walked away from it, God has allowed them to continue to walk away from it. So this is where I would say that, that I am at within this great subject. And that is, is while it's all up to God, and while I'm not going to tell God how to do it or not to do it, because who knows the mind of God, Romans 11, the following is true, that I believe with all my heart, and that is this. If there's a bushman in Africa or Indonesia or whatever, and he looks at the sun, he looks at the stars, and he begins to ask questions about God and says, man, there's got to be something out here. This is amazing. There's got to be a God. And you say, well, why would he do that? Look at the Incas and the Mayan empires. They looked at the world and what did they do? The next part of the passage. Instead of giving glory to God, they started making sun gods and corn gods. We're able to do that. Why? Because God's written it in our hearts. We look at creation and say, well, I didn't do it, so somebody had to do it. And they miss it. But I believe with all my heart that if someone goes and says, I see God. I don't know who he is, but I want to know him. I don't know how God will do it. But the Bible says if we search for Him, we will find Him if we search for Him with all our heart. Is it through a missionary? Maybe. Is it through Jesus being sent or an angel being sent? I don't know. But I leave that to God and I say, God, based on Your mercy and Your judgment, You're going to figure that out. And You're going to understand it and Your ways are going to be the best ways. Because God doesn't sit idly by and watch people that He has called to sit there and say, well, but you didn't hear about Jesus. God will deal with that as He will. Finally, we see only, uh, let's see, secondly, we, we see we are headed down a road to destruction. If you've got no defense and you've seen creation, people are going to stand before God and they're going to say, oh, I didn't know about Jesus. I didn't know about you, God. And God's going to say, well, let's start first of all with natural revelation. Did you live in the world? Yes. Did you, did you see the sun rise every morning? Yes. Did you see the moon come out every night? Yes. Did you see the seasons? Did you see the weather patterns? Did you see lightning? Did you hear thunder? Yes, I did. And he's going to say, because of that, you are without excuse. The Bible says that if we have uh, no excuse, if we have no way of articulating to God why we should be able to be a part of His heaven, the Bible says that then our names are written in the book of life and we are cast into the lake of fire. There again is the wrath of God. That we are on a road to destruction if we turn away from what God has revealed in creation. 
But here's the good news. Only the Redeemer can deliver us. The good news is that Jesus, or sorry, that God did not stop with natural revelation. But the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, this world that He created, the cosmos is the word there, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And yet you've looked out to the stars, you've looked out to the sky, and you say, I know that this just didn't happen. I know it wasn't just because of a big bang. And that there must be a God. There is a God, and He's the one who created it. He's the one who sustains it. He is the one who watches over it. And this God who put this world together, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, who have put us together in the most intrinsic things in the world, as even scientists look and are amazed by our bodies and how they work and the animal kingdom, how it works. God did all that. But this God that did all that didn't sit and say, well, now enjoy it and don't worry about me anymore. This same God who created the world says, worship me. This same God says, Honor me. Bring glory to me. The same God says, My son came to die for you. Honor him. Glorify him. Give him your praise. Trust him. And if you don't, the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodlessness and wickedness. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you this morning. That you are the God who has created And Lord, these are messages that I wish that I had a more scientific mind so that I could relate in even greater ways who you are and what you're all about. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would rejoice in what you've created, who would glory in what you've created, who would give praise for what you've created. And that, Lord, we would be those who would point out and reveal to others the greatness of who you are as seen in creation. But, Lord, as we're going to learn later on in this text, it's not enough to just look at creation. But that within that creation, you sent your son Jesus to die, that we might be saved. So, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just become some earth-loving, tree-hugging kind of people that we'd be ones that would move from creation to Christ and that we'd reveal Christ to all those who need to hear of Him, all those who need to come to Him. Because, God, we know, and it's a sobering thought, Your wrath is being revealed. And the Bible says it is a terrible thing to find yourselves in the hands of an angry God. So, Lord, we take that and we know that that is our passion and our purpose of sharing the good news of Christ. We thank you for your word and what the Apostle Paul has taught. We give you glory and honor for it. And all God's people said, Amen.